So today's scripture comes from Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 22 through 47. And uh, of course, uh, if you've been following Ezra and Nehemiah, these names are wonderful. So uh, if I pause, uh, please know that I've tried my best. (laughs) So it says in the days of Eliashib, Joadah, Johannine, and Jadua, the Levites were recorded as heads of fathers' houses. So too were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. As for the sons of Levi, their heads of fathers' houses were written in the book of Chronicles until the days of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashemiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Kamael, with their brothers who stood opposite them to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. Madaniah, Batbakiah, Obadiah, Meshalem, Talman, and Akub were great gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouses of the gates. These were in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, son of Josedach, in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and scribe. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netaphathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmavath. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people in the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up unto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the Dun Gate, and the, after them went Hoshiah and half the leaders of Ju- uh, Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests, sons with trumpets, Zechariah the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Madaniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, and Asaph, and his relatives Shemaiah, Azarel, Melaliah, Gilaliah, Maiah, Maiah, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David as the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshanah and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the Tower of the Hundred, to the Sheep Gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of guard, of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I, half of the officials, with me, and the priests of Iliakim, Meshashiah, Menamin, Micaiah, Eloani, Zechariah, and Hanani, with trumpets, and Meshiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzziah, Johanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer, and the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that, that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, 
and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men appointed over the storerooms the contributions, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. It's a lot of scripture here, but soon I hope it'll come into a clear picture for you guys as we continue in our sermon series here in Ezra and now Nehemiah. And we have been following a progression. Oh, yeah, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, just, just in case you didn't know. Now you know. <clears throat> okay, we have been following a progression regarding the building of the wall here in Nehemiah, the last few chapters we've been through. First, the wall is built, and we went through that. Then it's completed, and after that, like a couple weeks ago, we saw God's people enter a season of confessing their sins, then making holy resolutions and promises to God like we saw last week at the wall, and now today, we see them dedicating the wall with a worship service. The Bible tells us here that Nehemiah put together two Levitical mass choirs. Now, for those of you who aren't from traditions where there's a big yearly church gathering, a denominational gathering, a a district of churches gathering, oftentimes even our own general assembly will have a mass choir. That means people from different Presbyteries, people from different states coming together and having a choir director pull them together to to sing great and beautiful music. One group, one choir group walked on top of the wall. This is a pretty wide wall here. From the south going northwest singing and playing their instruments to God. And the Bible tells us, this passage tells us, that then the other choir started from the south, going up the east side of the wall. And remember, this was kind of an oblong circle, this wall around Jerusalem. And it says as they went from the south going to the east side of the wall, they met the other praise group at the temple for a sacrifice service. With these choirs leading a throng of people, a marching band for God following them, and all of the priests and officials, they were like we say sometimes, they was having church. But they were showing and modeling for us believers today who are often held back in our worship by apathy, emotionalism, and headiness. And how we and why, and they're showing us what it means to praise the Lord, 
to worship the Lord with gladness, to give a service, a worship service. The online slang dictionary defines throwdown or throwing down as not only fighting and dunking a basketball, but more apropos for our message today, it means to party to give a portion of the money necessary to purchase something, to contribute along with others a substance for group enjoyment, to play music, to lay down lines of a rap. But as you know, slang is simply the fraternal twin of standard, right? So the Hebrew word for praise and thanks that we see in verse 24 of this passage, the Hebrew word yada means confess the Lord, to thank, to praise, to shout, to literally in one of its grammatical forms, to throw down. God is calling us, his people, to be a people, a community, servants of of, of him in this world who know how to throw down. Who know how and, and why to party, to play music, to sing, to lay down lines of words to music, to give towards, to contribute to the right and complete and joyous worship of God. And as we look at this passage, it means that our worship, our praise, what it means to, to, to worship the God and how we throw down must be first intentional. Secondly, yes, sensational. And finally, relational. That's to help y'all remember it. Intentional, sensational, and relational. Man, I like that. I feel good about myself up here. <laughs> now, this chapter starts with a lineage of priests. And we had... Uh, uh, Elder Rashid, read all of those uh, names. And, and in the, between those names, there's a lot of sons of so-and-so and, and fathers of this. And, and here, leading up to the priests who were leading this particular praise and worship parade. And it is obvious from the way they're very serious about listing names. They didn't just say, you know, we had a group of guys, they came in, they pretty good, and they led worship. No, they listed the names. They talked about their lineage. And it was obvious that they were intentional in doing this worship right. They wanted those who would read this passage to recognize that this worship was, was orthodox, that it was planned, that, that the leaders of this thing were the rightfully regulated by God and his word, called and ordained by God by lineage, as the Bible says they should be, worship leaders of God. Then it says this in verse 24 of our passage. And the chiefs of the Levites, oh man, I got to read the word, names. Hashabiah. Jeremiah and Jeshua, the son of Kadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them to, to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. What do we see here? 
doing worship, as they say, by the command of David, a prophet, priest, and king of God, is the same as saying God commanded our worship to be this way, that it should be intentional, our worship, as it is regulated by God's word himself which meant they would follow the word in what should and shouldn't be allowed in the singing, in the doing of singing. It is the regulative principle of worship, right? That that we only do in our throwdown what God has laid and put down in his word. But there is more here, more to it here. Worship and praise is what we see them doing after, in dedicating this wall after a great journey, after going through so many years and days of, of struggling and getting it together, is intentional because it was and it is God's original idea. God wanted this strange activity of worship. You come into a church, you know it's a church just by the way people act and what's going on. It is a weird and strange and foreign affair going on in there. If you didn't grow up in churches or you hadn't seen a church, it's even different than a concert. No matter how big of a stage you have, how good the musicians are, there is something different going on because a God who is holy and elevated and in some, in many ways, alien from our own sense of of, of sinful experience has called us to worship him with an intentional difference with everything else we do. That's why our call to worship. Matt said it this morning. I was so glad. It seemed like the Spirit was working this morning because he wants y'all to hear it twice. That's why our call to worship in our bulletin is called a call to worship because God is intentionally calling us to be intentional by getting ourselves there, regulated in the right place, in the right way, giving to and offering all we can to praise him with the best we can possibly produce to make it happen. Not only was it important to regulate by the guidance and stipulations given by the Word of God, obviously, but also to be sure they had the right people in place to do worship service and not worship a disservice, right? Apparently, music, as we look at the the lineage here, was a family affair. Knowing how to play instruments and sing, that was passed down through the priestly lineage. Look at verse 24. We just read that. We'll look at it again. Look at verse 42 and then verse 46. And Maasiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, if you're in one of these worship services, you had the list of musicians, had to get these names right, somebody would get offended. Uzai, Jehoan, Malachijah, Elam, and Ezer, and the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader. And then look with me at verse 46. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. There was a distinction. 
and distinctions in the praise ministry, priesthood between the antiphonal singers that we see in verse 24, they're described as standing opposite. That meant singing in responsive lines and parts with and to the soloist or praise leader like my man Jezariah mentioned in verse 24. And all of them apparently took their direction and notes from the direction of singers and songwriters mentioned in verse 46. And then in verse 31, when it says choirs given to get choirs pulled together together to give thanks, it actually means these were the people who were called to be the thankers of God. In other words, the ones who knew how and were called to be the thanksgiving choir. And then if we look in verse 35 again, it ends with Asaph. Now, now, now Nehemiah is name dropping on purpose here. Asaph, if you look at the inspired Psalms in the Bible, wrote a lot of the music for the words of King David and some of the words for King David's hymn. And then if we were look again, if we think about what happens in verse 46 and 47, they were not only intentionally recruited by Nehemiah for this skill and calling, but Nehemiah made sure they were supported. That's compensated for, for their gifts given to God, from their gifts given to God. They paid for and got the best and made sure praise and worship was resourced with the right people. Why? Because they were intentional about worship being good, glorious, right, orthodox, and awesome all at the same time. Let me say this. God's worship service, our praise should not and should not be left to the accidental or careless. You're worshiping the God who created heaven and earth. We make sure it's not accidental or careless, that it isn't slack, that it isn't low on a totem pole, Okay, I'm sure sometimes worship just breaks out. Sometimes in your car at home, sometimes you listen to a song. Maybe that's just me. You end up on the floor crying, almost wrecking in the car, worshiping God. Sometimes a worship service accidentally breaks out. And if you with me and I'm working on a sermon, man, I can find anything you say and make it apply to the sermon. I start preaching. Ask Kelly. When I'm working on a sermon, she get the sermon first. And, you know, worship service can break out. Because the pastor's preaching. Well, her husband's preaching. I'm just Howard preaching that. We should make sure that we are doing all that we should, like these people do, in appreciation for what the wall represented to them, that we should and can and even sacrifice and be thorough in what and who we have leading us in worship, in the, on the instruments, in the singing, and in the leading. We don't have the right by Scripture to bring to the worship of God whatever we want, how we want. But God has called it to be what he wants. And we don't have the right and shouldn't make worship low on the totem pole as less than important. You know, it's kind of funny. 
when you talk to, I, I was having a meeting, it was a presbytery meeting, I was sitting at lunch with some, some pastors, and they were talking about a certain church in the city, and they were like, man, that worship service is just a concert. I'm like, yeah, you know, got to be careful. They're like, man, we always have worship wars. People want more guitars. People want more organs. People want more of this. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you got to kind of pastor your way. You know, I'm just kind of helping them understand because I'm the man, right? No. <laughs> we all trying to figure it out. And they said, well, you know, Howard, Christ Central pretty sexy in their worship. And I knew it was somewhat of a derogatory statement. You know Why? Because somehow in our thinking, maybe our denomination, maybe the culture is in our denomination, that somehow worship shouldn't be good. That it's better if it's all volunteer and it's just all very watered down and weak. That somehow our worship in church should look like a campus ministry that don't barely have anybody to play some guitar music, right? Right? That, that we should be two chords only. That we should be quiet and, two, and, and, and just kind of slack. Well, who's playing music? I don't know. Brother so-and-so, so I do his very best. Now, don't get me wrong here. Brother so-and-so, if that's what God has provided, like he provided these people to sing, then brother so-and-so going to do the best he can. But at the same time, to say, you know what, worship, who really cares about that? We don't, you know, we don't want all the people getting all up in arms about how the music sounds and how good it feels and how, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because the preaching is the main thing, and I agree that the preaching is, is very important. But at the same time, somehow we've begun to believe that it's okay to sort of be slack in our worship of God. I don't see that in Scripture. I don't see that in, in, in a lot of, 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 our, of, of some of the early church. Some of the early church couldn't have big worship because if they got caught worshiping, if they were too loud, they'd get arrested and killed. All right, we're going to have some quiet worship if are going to be arrested and killed, right? It says some, some early churches, they didn't have the money. They couldn't afford singers and songwriters, so that's why they did it. But now here we are. you've got an opportunity to give all you can give for God's worship, why would you not give it when he calls for it just based on who he is? We need to make sure we have people in place who can throw down. Who can not only play with skill, but intentionally making sure the words fit with the music and the music fits with what we are doing in here and our vision and making sure that the words are biblical and fit the sermon? Do you know that every, I'm going to brag a little bit. Do you know that every week, Kelly, who is our director of worship arts, asked me my text and themes of my sermon to do her best to make sure the songs fit the overall theme of the service. And then she turns to our musicians, especially Ricky and Hanak, to take their skills to either write some music or, you know, they kind of take something I put together in a lab, you know. I got my own little studio upstairs. It's the extra room. We don't have the money to put furniture in right now, but right now that's my studio. Got my little computer, got my little mic, like crown him. I kind of Frankenstein that. If you listen carefully, it might be somebody else's song you hear. But don't worry about it. It's redeemed for Jesus. And I put it together and I give it to Hanak and Hanak's like, stop singing. Like, 
I'm like, Hannah, let me tell you, I got it. And he's like, okay, I got it. Stop. Your skill, pastor, is over. Your part of the lineage is over. It's time for me to take over. He do some things. And then, oh, my Lord, I didn't know it could sound like that. If we sang it your way, pastor, nobody would be able to sing. And then they work out the chords right with the voices, and then that goes out to Joe and Chris and Cindy who are ready and trained and paid to make that sound make sense with the words to go with the worship services. This thing is intentional up in here. We're not playing a game. We're not planning a concert. This is about putting everything we have and can afford together to be intentional about worshiping the Lord well. I remember when I was pastoring in Baltimore, Kelly and I attended the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra and the choir's performance of Handel's Messiah. I don't know whether you've been to a full performance of Handel's Messiah, but try to go. Okay? I know it ain't what we do up in here, but I was raised on classical music. I was classically trained, started playing the violin at age five. My dad was in the symphony. So I, that's the kind of background I had. My dad comes in, he goes, he sees the music we do. What happened to you? I didn't train you that way. All the money we pay for opera tickets and all that, and you, you, you're doing this in that theater? What is going on? Just tell people it's temporary because you don't have enough money to get a real organist and all that. Man, a real organist that play that thing? Like Hanak? Man, it's hard to find them dudes. This is my favorite instrument right here. This ain't in the sermon. <laughs> well, I think the guitar and the Hammond organ, man, this is one of the first instruments we bought. Pastor Giorgio and I, we were looking for a place to worship. So we went to this church. It looked like the church was going to go out of business or something like that. Maybe we heard what they were thinking about selling. And so we went and met the guy in the choir room at their church, right? And, and, and I sat in there, and he's talking, and I'm looking at this. Because it had, like, books on it, like it was a bookshelf for them. And I knew this was God's instrument, right? It's in the Bible. Hammond organ is in the Bible, right? So, and I know that thing can talk. Huh, I can't this thing talk. It can talk just like I can talk. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to one of them black churches where they... Okay. <laughs> and I said to the dude, I'm a pastor and we want to have church. That bookshelf you got over there, I'll pay you for it. He's like, how much? Well, I told him the price. He's like, okay, bring a check. Man, we have the best bookshelf in Charlotte. Right here. I don't know why I said that. But anyway... So we went to Handel's Messiah, because I love the instrument. Handel's Messiah, and, and whether you've been to a full performance of it with the words printed before you, man, it is amazing, because the whole thing is almost scripture put together. But what felt like a very up, very up at event, people all staunch and dressed up, and we're going to hear Handel's Messiah, right? Turned into a throwdown worship time for me and Kelly. We were in the wrong place with the right music. And we in there rocking back in our chairs, folk, doo, 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 and we all, hallelujah, thank you, God. Like, thank you, Jesus, we're crying, even lifted hands a bit. They didn't attend that, right? We in there at the symphony hall. But the Messiah by Handel was no accident. It wasn't like, hey, man, I'm just walking around and came up with Handel's Messiah. Here you go. The idea and the words are written by Charles Jennings. It, 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 the words, it was the libretto or words of the Messiah were not written by Handel. And, and as a devout Anglican, this man, Charles Jennings, it, 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 
um, a believer in scriptural authority, part of his intention was to challenge advocates of deism who rejected the doctrine of divine intervention in human affairs. Musical scholars describe the text of the Messiah as a meditation of our Lord as Messiah in all Christian thought and belief. It was no accident that he wanted to help save part of the thinking and truth of Christianity by putting together this incredible musical piece. And Jennings, who's not as good a musician as Handel, kind of like me and Hanak, okay? And, um, but richer, he was richer than Handel, paid to secure Handel's time and talent to compose the Messiah. Jennings wrote, I hope Handel will lay out his whole genius and skill upon it, that the composition may excel all his former compositions. As the subject excels every other subject, the subject is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Our subject and purposes of what we do today as believers in our worship should call for no less intentional participation and giving to the praise and worship of our Messiah. To not only give it up in your giving as a church to make sure folks get compensated, that that might be easy for some of us, but in giving it up in here with raising hands when you are told, responding Right, antiphonally, like the priest did when the worship called for it, praying and confessing with intentional whole heart and emotion. Because not only should our worship be intentional, it should be sensational. Now we're about to get in trouble. Did the Presbyterian pastor just say sensational and emotional? I sure hope so because the Bible says so. Let's look at verse 27 and then 31. And at the dedication of all of Jerusalem, he sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the, the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And then verse 31, it says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and of course the other went to the north. Then verse 40 through 43. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half the officials with me, and the priests, all those names, with trumpets, and all those names together. And the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day. Now listen, and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. Rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem, hear this, was heard far away. It is clear that praise, the praise of God's people, is sensational. It is filled with music and motion. It is moving and emotive. The way they are described as expressing great joy and could be heard far away meant that things had gotten out of their control and spilled over loudly out and over the wall. They were consumed and moved to shout and sing loudly to the Lord. Maybe because the music was so loud. Maybe because the song leader led them to do so. And maybe he was singing and loud and crying. Maybe the music with the words along with the instrumentation and the modulations made people lose it for God in their worship. Let me say this. They were in 
intentional, but the intention of worshiping God in spirit and truth was rightly leading them outside of themselves as they sang from within themselves, singing God's libretto, right? God's very word and truth to the inspired composition of God's people. I was studying the use of music that the Israelites employed, especially under King David, and it has this sense to it. The louder, the better. The music matched and was supposed to match the bigness and dominion and reach in the voice and the power of their God. Now, I want to nuance the idea and definition of loud here as not only being volume, but no less than volume, but rather intensity, that it was striking, that it was getting, that it was and the music was there to match the intensity of the words of confession and declaration and expression of who God was. His attributes and characters sung out loud. And we will get to more of this in a moment, but expressing musically and emotionally and verbally what the journey God brought you through meant and means. Music and, and words and worship are supposed to take the mind to a higher plane past your immediate control and into the realm of emotions. Now, emotions lost by being in love and overcome by the truth and spirit of God. I was in the Clemson band. There were a couple times we just won, and maybe we were supposed to win. I remember being in that band, and I was pretty good at the notes. But there were times when things got so exciting, and y'all know, some of you sports people, you know what it's like. Man, I'm just playing my issue with skill, but there's a point where the, where the joy took over and the skill finds it, found its place underneath the emotion. Let me tell you what happens. It happened back then. God designed our senses to be matched out and controlled by him. And these instruments, as I mentioned, were designed to help us get God and get all into God. You know, the pagans, the outer worshiping world got caught up in it, and their worship was about how loud and emotional and ecstatic it, it could make you to drug you into just being lost. Well, when I studied this worship stuff, God's worship, too, was designed to also get you and me worked up and ecstatic and emotional and intense, but not just to be lost, but being found by God and, and finding yourself experiencing an exalted God and truth. You know what we fail to recognize? That God's foundational regulated truth is anything but lowly and regular. It is elevated and otherworldly and holy, and it takes and calls for a heightened and intense worship to experience it. Now, I am not comparing our valuing of one kind of music worship services or music of different cultures over the other, but I am saying whether it is Handel or Thai Tribbett, we throw down in the sensational. That is that ecstatic emotional raising, according to what I studied, it lifted people's hearts and emotions so that they could receive God's word in the right way to just engage God in his truth and intellectually will not only puff you up, 
it may bring you down in condemnation. You know what? You can't handle the truth. You think you can handle this word, just eating it like a dry turkey sandwich? No. This scripture will choke you, man. If you just take it without any heart sense to it, you put this word together in the wrong way. It won't mean anything to you. You'll just have head knowledge and no heart truth. And so what they would do is they'd play music before the sermon was preached, before there was word being taught. Why? Because it would put people's hearts in the right place to receive the truth of the word. You know, back in the church that I grew up in, they always had the hymn of preparation, a choir song of preparation. And so we moved away from choirs because you know, choirs are just performance. Hey, I see choirs in the Bible. It's just performance. You know, we can't have soloists. Well, what's Jezariah doing? Right? They're leading in worship by singing a song, and we respond. But in some churches, they would have the choir sing right before the preacher, and sometimes things would get out of hand. Y'all have been in that kind of situation? And the pastor got to get up and say, hey, y'all sit down now. I got to preach sometime today. And somebody like Hanak on the organ, just making it worse. <laughs> Never forget I was in the church and things got happy. The choir was singing and they were singing, call them up. Y'all know the words of call them up. If you confess the Lord, call them up. And then it has the chorus, can't stop praising his name, just can't stop praising his name, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, can't stop. And it just goes on. And I'm thinking, this is senseless. I'm Mr. Seminary Man. And I'm like, to my friend Anthony, who's now PhD, Dr. Anthony, right? Anthony, man, look, look, call him up. You know what's going to happen. Look, man, they got to call him up. We're not going to be able to stop praising his name. Jesus. And I'm in there. I can't either. I can't stop. After it got started, I didn't want it to stop. And the pastor's like, can y'all please stop so we can hear the word? But it was amazing. When they did stop and the word start, they were ready to hear about Jesus. But not only that, intense, loud, in this case, worship could be heard from far away. Very important. Because it was like a war cry to the nations around them that the Lord was Lord that he built this wall and that he protects us against you enemies, that he is powerful and thick as this wall and he is just as loud and beautiful and awesome as the songs you hear singing. And his worship would serve notice. Worship was dangerous to the world. And it was filled with espionage for the enemies of the people of God whom it went into and they heard it and it should be the same for us. Worships to serve loud, intense, and emotional notice to the sin and issues and struggles and heartaches we feel. It should ring the highest and lowest bells of our despair and fears, and we should bring that here, and those emotions should be met and challenged here in our worship service. Your enemies that you're carrying around in here and here that you faced all week and you brought into this worship, they should hear the worship and the words of God and be made to bow their knee to your, your Lord Jesus Christ. 
All right, Rashid, I'm going to give it up. When Clemson played Florida State, he went to Florida State. Y'all the champs this year. Enjoy it this year. Enjoy the whole year till next year. I remember going down to Tallahassee in 89 for the first game. We won, by the way. And um, I was just a freshman, and I thought our band was pretty good. And all of a sudden, I walked in that stadium, and I heard, boom, 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 boom. I was scared. I'm like, doo, 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 doo. these people ain't playing. I didn't even hear nothing. All I heard was, boom, 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 boom. I was like, oh, my Lord. Florida State ain't no joke. They came to win today. They lost, but they came to win. Our worship should sound like a fight song to the devil in our sin. We have the hymn, Mighty Fortress, we sing. And what Luther wrote was nothing short of a 16th century holy church gangster rap for us. Ooh, preaching along. Okay, it is throwing up songs and words and, and gang signs representing the power and might and domination of our God to the world. And we beat our chest with the confidence in our God who runs the block, the hood, our hearts, our minds in this world. And in the next go round, we on our knees with come ye sinners, with good, great, being grateful and, and graced by the mercy given to God's people to come as sinners. Worship should free you from the bounds of purely fleshly, cognitive, and contrived control to let loose and bring the length, height, and depth of our own emotions to him and his gospel to ours. So throw down. Bring your emotions. Give your emotions. Let our worship be intense and dangerous and meeting at the crossroads of our hearts. But not only that, because it's relational. The Bible tells us that they met at the temple. And there they had a sacrifice service. And I like the idea of them walking over the walls, and I'm not going to go into it. Each one of those gates represented a different part of God's relationship with his people. So as they were singing, imagine this, as they were singing... And walking over this wall that they sacrificed in, and they sweated over building, and they had to trust God because as they built it, the enemies around them. Now, this was no just jeering. These enemies had swords and spears. These folk thought they were going to die when they were building this wall. And they're walking over a completed wall with completed gates. And as they walked, they gave thanksgiving to the journey that God brought them through. This wall represented the great promises and faithfulness of God, and they had songs to match the journey that they went through of a God who loved his people through thick and thin and problems and ups and downs and fears, and their music and their worship actions surveyed that. But this worship service found its climax, its crescendo at the temple and the offering of sacrifice, just like ours should. If Jesus is not the stuff 
of the offering and sacrifice of praise. It's the gospel truth of Jesus that God sent him to redeem and to have loving relationship with sinners and in a broken world and called them to be righteous and pure by grace and mercy. It's not the end of our praise. That is not where all the music and all the instruments, all the organ, all the keyboards, all the guitars, all the drums, if that is not where we are headed and that's not the end of our praise, then we are wandering and not worshiping. We are playing around and not praising. We are having a nice concert, but not having church. It has become the tradition, closing with this, it's become the tradition of sorts to stand during the playing of Messiah's Hallelujah Chorus. Well, history has it that at the London premiere of the Messiah, which was attended by the king himself, King George II, that he was so moved by the content and the exaltation of Christ, that he who never stood for any person on earth stood. And when the king stood, those in attendance had to stand with him, being like a worship leader of sorts. But ultimately, not because of King George, but who King George was pointing to, the Messiah. That was the most famous. But there was also a less-known story that at a performance in Dublin, Dublin, during the singing of He Was Despised is the name of the song. And here are the words. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, Isaiah. He gave his back to smiters and his cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. He did not hide his face from shame and spitting. And apparently after the singing of that song by the alto singer Susanna Cyber, a Dublin clergyman, Reverend Delaney, was so overcome by the rendering that reportedly he leapt to his feet and cried, Woman, for this be all thy sins forgiven thee. Imagine somebody doing that in the middle of a worship service, I mean, in the middle of a concert. Like, like Reverend Delaney, no, we may not have Susanna Cybers leading the songs, but wherever we worship in the gospel of who leads it, it is because of the gospel of Jesus that we whose sins have been forgiven can leap to our feet and fall to our knees and cry out or weep and sing out and praise out with great emotion and intention. Our sins are forgiven. We stand righteous in Christ because of what he has done. We throw down and are called to throw down because of the temple and its sacrifice signified in Nehemiah. God in Christ threw down first by coming down to be with and like one of us. He threw down when he laid down his life for our sins, and he threw down when he did not let the grave hold him down, but rose with all power and authority in his hands. We throw down. Because our God himself and Jesus our director of songs and worship, our praise leader and redemption song threw down first with antiphonal gladness and joy for each and every one of you. Throw down God's people. Bring it all to the worship and praise of your Lord Jesus Christ.